Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Who, What, Where, a true crime podcast. I am Hannah. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Abigail. And today, I, and then in parentheses, Hannah, will be leading the podcast. So um, thanks for sticking with us. We, we're on a little bit of a break, um, because kind of an impromptu break, because now we've been we've been doing this podcast thing for a while now and honestly we were all just super super busy um you guys probably are already know this but we are not full-time podcasters we have other jobs and responsibilities and sometimes life gets in the way and so thanks for sticking with us and joining us for another episode we're finally back um and we're back with kind of a a case that i've been wanting to do for a while um it has been on my short list of ones to do ever since i listened to um a episode of and that's why we drink i love that podcast if you also listen to that podcast you should let us know um in the instagram comments or in the youtube comments they're amazing um but anyway i got this kind of inspiration from them because they talked about one of the people i'll be talking about in this case today and kind of just i don't know inspired me to talk about some brutal serial killers because this is a true crime podcast and that's what we're we get excited about here um so trigger warning, I know we've talked about this, it feels weird giving trigger warnings at the beginning of a true crime episode because duh, it'll be triggering, it's about murder and death. Um, I will be talking about pretty brutal murders um, that involve um, rape. Yeah, I feel like that's a pretty ca- good catch-all. Um, um, on a lighter note, unlike a lot of our other cases, we we seem to have gone on kind of a Um, a trend of doing a lot of cases involving children this one doesn't involve any children so that's positive okay fabulous so on that super happy note let's talk about the baton rouge serial killers Um, In the late 1990s through the early 2000s, there were two serial killers terrorizing and brutally murdering women in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, There were two serial killers, and there were also a lot of other people being murdered. That comes into play here in a little while. Um, I don't know much about Baton Rouge, but it wasn't a good place to live in the late 90s and early 2000s. That's what I can tell you from there. The first and more well-known killer and kind of the one whose name is the Baton Rouge serial killer is known or was known as Derek Todd Lee. Um, I'll be calling him Derek or Lee throughout this, this episode instead of his full name. I could call him by his initials DTL. That's kind of cool, but um, he's a scumbag. So he doesn't deserve that anyway. All right. Derek Todd Lee was born November 5th, 1968 Scorpio's those mother efforts are crazy. I can say that because I'm a Scorpio, but Derek Todd Lee was crazier than I am. Okay. Just stick with me on that one. That's true. By at least one point, if not multiple at points. At least one point, just for the sheer fact that he murdered people. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> um, so Derek DTL was born November 5th, 1968 in St. Francisville, Louisiana to his father, Samuel and his mother, Florence. So Lee's father Samuel left soon after he was born and and um, after he had been born and left, it was actually a good thing that he had left because Samuel ended up being put in a mental, mental institution um, a couple years later after, after being charged with the attempted murder of his ex-wife. So not Florence, but a different woman. Um, so it was probably good that he didn't stick around for very long in Derek's life. Um, and well, it didn't I think, necessarily it didn't necessarily change the path that Derek took in life. So, so no, but it kind of begs the question of mental illness being genetic, and like if there was something mentally wrong with Samuel, then that would make sense why, even though um, Derek was never you know nature versus nurture nurtured by Samuel, he still possibly had some of that mental illness that um, Samuel had. So, um, another kind of interesting. Thing about the about Derek's story is the rest of his childhood was relatively normal which 
as we know, unlike a lot of other serial killers, there's a lot of serial killers that their their childhoods are just horrible. You know, like they've they've been abandoned on the streets and they were raised by their grandparents. Um, this was not a case like that at all. The rest of his childhood is actually pretty normal, at least from what we know. Um, he his mother Florence married a man named Coleman Barrow, um, who was a responsible man of God. So he was like super religious. And he raised their children, which included Derek and also Coleman's children um, from a a previous marriage. So there was Derek and then his two sisters. And he raised them all as though they were his own children. And he instilled in them the importance of education in the Bible. So again, maybe there was some abuse going on there behind the scenes that we just don't know about it but honestly it it really make this case is one of those that really makes me think that maybe it really is true that or probably it is true that mental illness is um genetic and so like unfortunately Derek even though he had a pretty relatively normal life he never would be normal because of like something genetically being wrong in his brain Derek played in the school band, but that was about as far as his interest in school went. Um, He really struggled academically and had an IQ below 70 to 75. So it's my understanding that right around there, like I think like around the 70s marks or even slightly, slightly lower, I actually have it somewhere. Okay, like around the 65 to 70 mark is when people start questioning if someone is um, mentally handicapped, basically, by their IQ score. So he had a really low IQ score. um, And then, of course, because of that, struggled um, academically. And he really struggled with the fact that he was always outshone by his younger sister. So, um, and his younger sister wasn't his biological sister I don't think I think it was um a daughter of Coleman's so like his stepsister but she was very gifted and advanced in school faster than him so at some point his younger sister was actually in in grades above him so that probably you know this technically isn't normal and it probably did affect him mentally but still you know kind of begs the question will this really turn someone into a serial killer probably not um but you know like compared to a lot of other serial killer cases if all that was wrong with him is that he had bad grades probably not the end of the world so well i feel like i feel like bad grades is more in most cases like it's like this a symptom of a problem it's like how their like inability to interact with others is like manifesting itself or whatever like psychological issue that they have like it will manifest as bad grades or doing bad in school or whatever yeah it's like a a consequence of something rather than the cause of something it's not you know being having bad grades probably didn't cause him to be a serial killer and but um other things potential it's it's doubtful (laughs) yeah mental um illnesses caused him to be a serial killer but also caused him to have issues with you know grades or whatever so now we're going to jump into like what went wrong with Derek because we kind of already mentioned doesn't seem like his life's been that bad so what went wrong in his life um by the time Derek had turned 11 he had already begun peeping into the windows of of girls so this will no shock here um come into play later when we talk about the actual murders that he committed but i mean at the age of 11 so he's a young kid and he is a peeping tom basically um and then by the age of 13 derek was arrested for burglary um it's my understanding that his crimes at this point were not violent so yeah he's being a creeper um and he you know was burglarizing um stores houses whatever but he wasn't doing anything violent at least not at this point um but nonetheless police obviously began to become aware of Derek due to the voyeurism and the burglary charges when his crimes began to become violent the first like one of his crimes that was violent was when he pulled a knife on a boy during a fight and was charged with attempted second degree murder 
At the age of 17. Derek I mean, that's still like a violent crime, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, it is interesting, though, to note that at this point, um, that was a male victim. So obviously, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning. All of his victims were women. So um, at the age of 17, Derek was arrested for being a peeping Tom. No surprise there. Um, he had dropped out of high school and was still a minor, but a miraculously miraculously avoided a stay in juvie. So this this ta- this case is kind of a tale of um, similar to that other one we did, which now the name is escaping me. But where basically, I mean, I guess a lot of cases are like this, where the system just fails you basically, and um, there was a lot of chances for the system, the system being like police and everything to get it right and to, you know, get him arrested and put him away for at least a couple years or, or I guess not even, you know, put him in prison, but get him into a mental health care institution or something. Well, there was like no attempt to rehabilitate him. Right. Right. I mean, yeah. So, um, Derek became a husband and a father in 1988. So at this point he would have been 20 so he was he was still young um he married a woman named Jacqueline Denise Sims and they had two children Derek Todd Lee Jr so his namesake and Doris Lee which love it love the name okay soon after Derek pleaded guilty to unauthorized entry of inhabited dwelling so this kind of comes into play later um clearly I I mean I don't even know it's hard to like psychoanalyze him I feel like because I don't even know why he did all these things like he committed really horrible crimes but like why I mean other than the fact that he possibly was like mentally handicapped there's not a ton of other reasoning behind it um and then this is kind of where Derek's double life comes into play so on one, on one side, Derek was a really responsible father and he worked in construction and took his family on weekend outings. And then in his other life, Derek would go out and drink and, and had affairs, uh, had affairs with other women. So, you know, he'd be out at a bar and he'd be like, you know, kind of talking up the women around and, and trying to sleep with them. Um, <clears throat> Derek's, it's, a, uh, my understanding is that Derek's wife was aware of the cheating, but was devoted to him because, she you know had said that she married him so why would she not i mean i clearly don't believe in that but oh well um well and i will say at this time it i mean it's more it's pretty recently become easier for women to just like leave their husbands if they're cheating like it kind of used to be like like because of women's place in society like kind of an issue when it came to divorcing well, yeah, even if your she, husband was like a total scumbag like right and she had you could daughters, lose your house two, you could lose children. yeah yeah she had she had a family to support for all we know you know maybe she wasn't working and you know so anyway um so she enjoyed when allegedly she enjoyed when he would be arrested because the times he spent in prison even though they were like very few and far between and very short stays it allowed for her to kind of escape their life together. So again, not a great reason to remain married to somebody, but, um, you know, kind of just making do with what she had. Now this is where Derek's girlfriend comes into play. Um, her name is Cassandra Green. So this is a serious girlfriend. This isn't just some chick that he met at a bar and slept with one night. Um, this is a real girlfriend who he apparently spent a lot of money on um a good portion of the money that he was spending on her was from Jacqueline um because Jacqueline which was his wife her father died and left no sorry her father died in a plant explosion so it was a work-related injury and so a bunch of money got awarded to Jacqueline and and the rest of her family for this like um death that was at the fault of this work this company um the Jacqueline's dad worked for so they had a lot of money and Derek spent a lot of it on this Cassandra girl um to the point where essentially he had he had burnt through all of that money and now he was just barely making ends meet with his construction job income and then 
as all great men do. Um, Cassandra or Derek knocked up his side chick. Um, and so Cassandra had his baby too. So this baby, this baby's name was Dedrick Lee. So clearly these people are not very creative with the names. They all start with D's and they're all very similar. Like, I mean, imagine calling one's name and then you're like, oh shit, which one was I was supposed to be calling Derek or Dedrick? I don't remember. Anyway. Um, and that was in July, 1999. In June of 1999, Colette Walker, who um, is kind of just one of the first women that things, I mean, hindsight is 2020. Now that we look back on it, it's like, oh, damn, like there's something wrong with this guy. Okay. So Colette Walker filed stalking charges against Lee after he had like muscled his way into her apartment and tried to convince her that they should date. So he had like followed her home and um, like broke into her house and basically was like, you should date me. And then she was like, uh, what? <laughs> you know, as, as one would do. Um, and then- I couple, love the nervous laugh. <laughs> yeah, nervous laugh. A couple of days later, a friend had told Colette that she had seen Derek lurking outside her house. So again, it's kind of a tale of a story. It's like, gosh dang it, if people would have just spoke up, you know, when all these things were happening, we might not have had so many women die at the hands of him. Um, Derek pleaded guilty to these charges that were filed against him and he ended up receiving probation. Now, this next section is, is, is beautifully, beautifully named Trouble in Paradise. His relationship with his side trick, chick Cassandra and his baby mama turned violent in February of 2000, which was only a matter of time, let's be honest here, um, because of how messed up this guy so clearly is. She eventually started um, proceedings to get a protective order prohibiting Derek from seeing her. Um, a few days later, he found her in a bar parking parking lot and violently assaulted her. So there's not really much to say about that, except for obviously, like, he doesn't have proper emotional intelligence, I guess. Uh, he was being violent with her. She was like, don't be violent with me. And then she got her, she was trying to get a restraining order. And then a few days later, he tracked her down and found her in a bar parking lot and then assaulted her. Um, so kind of similar um, to how he like tracked down Colette and then broke into her house and was like, you should date me. Um, kind of creepy. Just a creepy guy. To did he have like a history of violence with his wife? It, I didn't find that. And so I don't know because it's like, I didn't find any information on that. But I do wonder because he obviously has like a violent nature to him at least to some extent but on the other hand I don't think this guy is really all that smart like literally I, I think that he's not smart um and so it, it makes me wonder if he was really smart enough to be like oh I'm gonna stay with this woman and not assault her to kind of be my ruse like be my um I don't know, kind of cover, cover for my, for the things that I would be doing, if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Well, I wonder for him if like- It doesn't like seem the, like that's the case is what I'm just trying to say. Yeah. I wonder if for him, like the difference was that like his wife was like, he felt some kind of like, uh, I don't know. He just know, respected like, her because he was- even if it wasn't even if it wasn't respect, because it doesn't sound like he respected women all that much. It was like he felt like- obligated some kind of obligation to like put up a front because like he was married to her and like mm -hmm. maybe in some like twisted way he kind of like saw women that he wasn't married to as like disposable and like it didn't really matter like how he treated them because they weren't his wife like in the very end they were like just his like you know yeah but then it's like cassandra was also the mother of one of his children yeah, so. but, like, I don't know, like, in his mind, I wonder if he's, like, oh, well, like, she's the one that, like, is having an affair with me, who's a married man, and, like, you yeah. know, she, I don't know, you but, know? like, at the same time, like I said, I don't know if I'd really give him all that much credit. Like, I literally just don't think that he had the emotional intelligence to think, 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 through, think things through the way we're thinking about them. When someone made him mad, 
he assaulted them pretty much. Okay. So dear, after this violent assault of Cassandra, he would spend the following year in prison. And then he was released in February, 2001. Um, at this point he was placed under house arrest. So supposed to, you know, stay at home. He had the anklet, whatever. Um, because he's not super smart, he tried to remove his tracking devices, and this obviously violated his probation. Oh, no, never a good idea. Yeah, don't do that, Derek. No, no, don't do that. Well, honestly, yeah, I wish that he wouldn't have, or I wish that they would have been like, hello, put him in jail for a long time, or not, I mean, I don't want to, like, give, like, a bunch of credit to jail, because jail isn't great, um, but put him, but clearly this guy is not all there. Like put him in like a mental health, like institution, like, come on. Anyway, um, he, this violated his probation when he tried to remove his tracking devices because duh. And at this point, we're just like begging, please, please do something right. He did not return to prison. So like they didn't put him in prison again. Okay. And like I said, I'm not giving all the glory to prison. I wish they would have put him in a mental institution, but still. And I'll, again, I'll just hit home that fact, like there were so many opportunities to arrest Derek and put him away for good or, you know, put him in a mental health institution, like I said, but there was a lot of missed opportunity, I guess. And so unfortunately, this is where the murdering begins. Um, we aren't really sure. Well, I guess I'll say this first before I say this is where the murdering begins. We're not sure exactly which victim was his first, but there was an incident. So I'm kind of going back in time here. There was an incident in 1993, which is possibly the first killing or the first attempted killing that he had where he attacked two teens. So this is um, also different from his other, um, other victims. It was a woman and a man or, you know, teenagers. So a girl and a boy that were parked in a car together and they were, you know, making out whatever. Um, so he attacked them and then like brutally attacked them. And then he fled as soon as another car started to approach. That was in 1993. So it's kind of believed that at this, that point around the 1993 time from there until he was arrested, he was murdering women, but we're just not sure exactly like of the time period. Okay. Um, the awesome thing about this attacking was obviously these two people didn't die, which is good because all of his other, um, attacked people died. Um, the, the couple, one of the people in the couple, Michelle, the woman, the girl, um, later picked Lee out of a lineup as her attacker. So that kind of helped when it came to, you know, getting him, accountable yeah that's what I would say okay so kind of the weird thing about Derek was that he was a pretty unexpecting serial killer like I know I've told you a lot of crappy things about him and things that he's done um but his his murders which let me just say I'm not going to talk about every single murder because all of the women he murdered he murdered in pretty similar ways um he would, you know, break in. There usually wasn't any sign of forced entry into the home, but he would break in somehow or go through an open door or whatever. Um, he would rape them and then he would kill them. So pretty kind of straightforward. Uh, it's believed that he had anywhere from like seven plus victims. I think that most people believe he had eight. Um, <clears throat> Lee's, so again, like I said, kind of the hard part about figuring out who the heck was killing all these people was obviously there was a lot of murders. Well, not obviously, but because I've said it a few times, there were a lot of murders in the Baton Rouge area. And then another reason was that um, Lee's victims didn't necessarily scream, oh, it's a serial killer because his his methods were a little bit varied. Um <clears throat> which to me honestly kind of reiterates the fact that he wasn't all that smart and he really wasn't thinking about it that like long-term. I think he was really thinking about it as like, I want to kill somebody because I'm upset. Like, I think he was just an angry man. 
Um, there were a few similarities between the murders, though. So he would always remove their cell phones, which is weird. I guess not that weird, but I think probably, you know, he's he's not the smartest person ever, and so he was like, oh, if I remove their cell phone, they won't be they won't be able to be tracked or um, identified or whatever. And there was also no visible signs of forced entry at any of his like victims' homes or anything too. So. I don't know. Um, well, actually, I do know. There is a rumor. Um, th- this is not like substantiated by any evidence or um, testimony or whatever. But there was an urban legend that kind of started in the Baton Rouge area where um, this rumor began to circulate that Derek would use taped sounds of crying babies to lure lure victims into like to the door so that he could you know come in and that's why there was no that's allegedly why there were no um forced signs of entry to the homes but the um police like were really quick to say that's not true like deny it but it was used in a lot of different um like pop culture references I guess so criminal minds used it a few times and then um you know, like I said, it was an urban legend. So a lot of people in the area, like if you lived in the Baton Rouge area, you knew about this possibly. So, um, and then also another thing is, I, I didn't mention this yet, but Derek Todd Lee was a black man. Okay. So because there aren't a lot of black serial killers, the police believed they were looking for a white man. Um, I mean, this is, this is partially because a lot of serial killers were white. And so they're like, why would it be a black man? But then also the other, on the other hand, there were a lot of witnesses that said that they had seen a white man. Um, so it was kind of like a combination of incorrect witnesses and then also reverse profiling, if you could call it that. Um, so, I mean, worked out in his favor, which is unfortunate, but I don't know. It's just always interesting to me because like, we know that police profile black and brown people across the United States all the time and then like in this case they did the opposite (laughs) it's like we wish they would have been like oh we're looking for a black guy because maybe they would have figured it out sooner but no so like um what race were his victims that's another thing about about him is that um a lot of serial killers kill people of like the same race um as they are and his, his were not all of the same race. Let me actually look up and see if I can find a convenient picture. Um, but yeah, so, they were not So I all. will say, I will say the one I'm looking at, it looks like only one of them is a black woman. The other ones look white. I mean, I'm just assuming yes. just based on their pictures, but. Right. I'm, I'm seeing that. I think I'm looking at that same photo. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So that was another part about his, um. Basically, his MO was not, like, super apparent to anybody. Um, and that's, to me, in my opinion, kind of just a confirmation of the fact that he wasn't all that smart. He really wasn't thinking about it that too much. Um, it seemed like they were just more, like, crimes of passion, really. But anyway, here's the kicker. They administered thousands of DNA tests to white men because they're like, it has to be a white guy. Can't be a black serial killer. Um, Until they accessed DNA left at a crime scene and found based on an ancestry profile, which I appreciate the digging, okay? Um, They found that the suspect was 85% African. So now they're like, okay, finally, they're they're at least on the right racial track. But I mean, come on, took them a long time. And all these white men were DNA tested. I, I can only hope at that point that some of the white men were wanted for other crimes maybe and then they were caught through that process. That's really the only the only shred of hope I can hold on to. But now let's talk about Diane Alexander. Like I said, I'm not going to talk about like all of um, his murders. I will say like a quick little blurb at the end of like kind of just saying like all their names. Um, as kind of a remembrance of them, I guess. Um, Diane Alexander was attacked, brutally attacked by Derek on July 9th, 2002. He also attempted to rape her. 
um, because that was that was his thing. And she is the only known survivor of Derek Toddley. Um, obviously, he, he kind of has other survivors like uh, his baby mama Cassandra, and then also um, the the uh, the couple that was attacked in their car. But this is the only known survivor that like he had full intent to murder. We think. Um, or everyone thinks, but he didn't go through with it. Because and isn't this the isn't this the victim that they that led to him being found? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm kind of wrapping this wrapping this part up. So Alexander survived because Derek was scared away when Diane's um, when Alexander's son walked into the room during the crime. So i i i automatically just think oh my god that's horrible because that son probably had to go through a lot of therapy (laughs) um but the cool thing about it is the son wasn't freaked out he was just a badass and he chased lee um in his car and like tried to get a try to get a description of the getaway car he was also able to describe lee to a sketch artist so that was huge 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 um and essentially the point I'm making here is that Diane's survival was basically like this huge, like imagine it was a puzzle to arrest Derek Todd Lee. Um, and like 90% of the puzzle was the puzzle piece of Diane Alexander's case. So like she was able to do a lot mainly because they were able to get a description of the getaway car. They were also able to get a really good, um, you know, view of him without being killed. And so they could, describe that to police sketch artists and, and obviously pick him out of a line, lineup and everything. Now, the other puzzle pieces were related to DNA. Um, and the DNA that was found under vi- the fingernails of victim Geraldine Barr DeSoto were like, was the final DNA that linked Lee to the death of her. And then obviously there was, it was kind of like this domino effect that every, all these other Um, murders kind of came into came to view that it was all Lee who had completed the murders Um, committed not completed sorry Um, Lee was arrested for the murder at that point of only Geraldine DeSoto um, and was tried in August 2004 Uh, Lee was eligible for first degree murder but they ended up pursuing second degree and get this, the reason behind this is because DeSoto was not raped. And so they thought that it would be harder to get first degree murder because she wasn't raped. Um, so, huh? yes, I know. Just, just sit with that for a second. I am. Think about it. Throw up if you need to. And then we'll move on <laughs> because it's like, I mean, I could try to make sense of that. But honestly, it just sounds like a lot of bull, bull crap. Um, prosecution is hard though like you know like for the most part i feel like they're they're trying to just get them in prison exactly they want to get him in prison for something and so they fit they figure we're going to be able to get in prison for second degree but probably not first degree and kind of my thought process behind the fact that they're bringing the rape into it is oh if she wasn't raped then he didn't go there to kill her like rape and murder her i mean it really doesn't it doesn't make a ton of sense honestly it's hard to understand or hard to make sense of we know that derek my homie derek was not the smartest person i've we've ever met or talked about um and so they there was a question of whether or not he was fit to stand trial and as you guys probably also know if you're a connoisseur of true crime podcasts which you probably are if you're here Um, If you're new, hello and welcome, by the way. Um, It's hard to get that, like, exception. If some, like, it's hard to say, oh, yeah, they're not fit to stand trial. So hard that he scored an average of 65 on his standardized IQ test, which this was, like, an average, too. Like, he took multiple tests, and he always scored around this area. So, So I think, honestly, it's pretty safe to say that he was mentally handicapped, at least to some extent. However, he was deemed fit to stand trial. So this is just like kind of case in point. It's hard to get that kind of exception of someone's not fit to stand trial, though I honestly, anyway, 
that's besides the point. But it's besides the point because he's dead. Okay. Um, he died in prison. So he was um he was census sentenced to death by lethal injection, but he died in prison of a heart attack before his death. Before his <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. He died in prison of a heart attack before the scheduled date of his death. Um, and I, then, like I said, I do want to say that in addition to Geraldine and DeSoto, he also was linked to the murders of Charlotte Murray or Marie Pace, Randy McBrewer, Gina Green, Pam Kennemore, Trinisha Colomb, and C- Carrie Yoder. Um, the murder of Charlotte Marie P- Murray or M- Marie Pace, um, it was a murder and rape that was why he was sentenced to death it wasn't because of the other murder that he had been like actually like tried for which was the murder of Geraldine Barr de Soto um it was because of Charlotte Marie Pace's murder and rape that was why he was sentenced to death Uh, rest in peace to all of his victims obviously um but now it's even crazier okay is the reason why it took officials so long to arrest and convict Derek Todd Lee was because from 1991 to 2001, there were 53 unsolved murders of women in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Some of which were For due some reason, to- that's like not that crazy to me. I don't know. Like that I seems mean, like it's a huge city center uh, and like, unsolved, I don't know. Unsolved murders. I don't know. Anyway, the point I'm making here is that some of these were due to the other Baton Rouge serial killer, Sean Vincent Gillis. And we'll come, we'll, we'll circle back around on why it's so freaking funny that he is called the other Baton Rouge serial killer, because I think that that is the best part about this is because he, he, he wanted so badly to be a great serial killer, but he couldn't even be known as the only Baton Rouge serial killer. He was the other one. Okay. (laughs) Just, just, Sean, I hope you hear this and you know that we hate you. Okay. Um, Sean Vincent Gillis, which you guys should look up what he looks like just because you have to see what this man looks like, was born on June 24th, 1962 to parents Yvonne and Norman. Oh, good Lord. He's weird looking. <laughs> Sean, there you go. Thanks, Abby, for the commentary on that. Um, he is weird looking, but, but like, he's like weird looking, but also like, would he murder me? So no, listen. Okay, thought process. So I looked. I looked at what Derek Todd Lee looks like, and like uh, Sean Vincent Gillis, like looks more like a serial killer. Oh yeah, like remember when we talked about the Snowtown murders, and I was like, oh my god, these these people, like that one guy, what was his name? Mark Hayden. I was like, yeah, he looks like he'd kill you in the bushes, and then like no one, he'd feed you to the bears or whatever. But um. The other guy in that case, like, doesn't really look like a killer. Anyway. Derek John Bunting. does not look like he would hurt me. No, so d- honestly, and and without dwelling on Derek Todd Lee's case, like, I feel like he really was just, like, mentally handicapped and just, like, couldn't, ha- like, regulate his emotions. And he wanted really badly to be loved, obviously, by a woman. And so because he couldn't regulate his emotions, he was like, someone doesn't love me. I'll kill him. So Sean was raised by his mother and his grandparents after his father left once he was born. Again, similar vibes, okay? To Derek's childhood. Um, His father would then go on to go in and out of mental institutions. Um, His childhood actually was pretty similar to Derek's and was relatively, like, normal. Um, He was an average kid with average grades, but was very quiet. Um... And his mother refused that he had shown any signs of violent as violence as a kid. Um, once, like, obviously he got arrested for it, all the freaking murders he did. Um, she was like, he was a little blue-eyed angel. That's in quotes, okay? Y- y'all look at him right now. If you're, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't looked at him yet, go look at him. Ooh. He does not look like... Sean. Oh. <laughs> he does not look like a blue-eyed angel, okay? No. Um, and this was... And his mom, like, you know, refused that he was violent ever, blah, blah, blah. Despite rumors from neighbors that he would, they would see him banging on garbage cans outside of the window. 
like they would see him like outside banging on garbage cans like violently banging on garbage cans at like 3 a.m sean's police run-ins began when he was 17 years old and he would he was arrested for a lot of different things um traffic citations duis marijuana use and possession contempt of court and then just like Derek, peeping into women's homes because men ain't okay what a star get that tattoo tatted on you somewhere man ain't ish okay in his teens sean and this is the weirdest like little tidbit but it, it doesn't really matter all that much but i feel like you guys need to know anyway um in his teens sean and a few of his friends began engaging in satanic worship and they enjoyed the thrill of being scared of other of seeing others being scared by the rituals so i guess it does kind of matter because clearly he was he kind of got off to like scaring people um which is creepy yeah so much for blue-eyed angel right okay also in his teens sean reconnected with his father their relationship was relatively fine like rocky but um it wasn't that bad until sean found out that his father norman which norman's a horrible name don't name anybody norman guys another fyi he found out that his father was actually a homosexual and he discovered a variety of photos of naked men in various sexual positions and so like a lot of serial killers sean was super set off by homosexuals not in his christian neighborhood okay like he was just pissed he's pissed him off and like uh, uh, eventually he would kind of go on to be it would be kind of questioned like that was one of the things that set him off but it would take it would take a long time for the final straw on sean's haystack of his life to set him off to to want to murder people okay when sean was 30 30 30 someone write that down his mother finally moved away to take a job offer in Atlanta. God, okay? She finally was like, yeah, I gotta go, bro. And so she left him in a house that she paid the mortgage for. That's not really that big of a deal. I mean, it is. Sean, seriously, couldn't get a job. Well, he did get a job, okay? Yeah, nah. But he okay. was so, so addicted to porn. I know, you probably weren't expecting me to go there. He was so addicted to porn that he neglected his job and eventually like didn't have a job. And then he would just lay around, be lonely and bored and watch porn. What kind of porn do you ask? His sick, sick obsession with porn led him to websites depicting rape, death and dismemberment of women. Okay. He couldn't just stop at like the rape and the death. He had to go to dismemberment. Duh yikes sean yikes okay it's always so weird to me that like this can be found on the internet well i mean so that's another <laughs> that's another true crime for another day honey um yeah wait hold up. fair point there um ah! I, yeah i i don't even know where to start with that screams internally that literally is that could be an entire case on its own we also need well, to and I get feel the like- law and order people in here right i always feel like i watch like i watch i watch like crime shows like like fictional crime shows they always act like it's like so easy the dedicated detectives who investigate these are just felonies are members of an elite squad known as a special victims unit these are their stories i had to finish it once i started thanks abby hopefully that doesn't get copyrighted i don't think that's how that works i like but but yeah so this this porn addiction was pretty disgusting right okay but like he never he didn't act on it for 14 years okay the real question is is it a porn addiction or a murder addiction if you're getting off to murder you know or is it both i think it's both it's both it's it's the worst kinds of both is the correct answer to that um but he, but, but despite being like disgustingly obsessed with this, he wouldn't go on to commit his first more murder for 14 more years. Well, no, he's a way better man than that. <laughs> yeah, he, he would just sit in his basement and watch it. I'm oh. hearing weird static. Does anybody hear that? 
No. It's it's Abby. Abby like bumped Abby... something and it started. Oh, there we go. Okay. So in nineteen ninety four was when he committed his first murder. In the same year, <laughs> this always just shocks me when people have like serious relationships. Um, he started and would go on to maintain a steady relationship with a woman named Terry Lemoyne. I'm going to say Lemoyne, but I don't know exactly how you pronounce her last name. Terry. Team Money. Um, Team Money. Now, let's talk about the murders because, like, again, similar to Derek's case, I don't think it's really that important to go in-depth to all the murders, but I'm kind of going to, like, pick pick a few that are just the worst parts of the murders. But as you already know, they're murders, so they're all horrible, <laughs> okay? Sean was a real nasty MF, okay? This guy, we already know, was disgusting because of the type of porn, if you could even call it that, um, he watched. Um, he raped almost all of his victims, um, and most of them he stabbed. A few of them to the point where Lim, well, no, some yeah a few of them to the point where they were either beheaded or limbs were cut off um it reminds me of that that tiktok audio where it's like her hand was cut off her arm was cut off her leg was her eyes were gouged out and it's like yeah that was literally like sean i mean you could cut that out if you want to but um yeah he was a bad 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 guy like murdering to the point where it's like okay, you know that 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 woman's dead, but he just kept going. Um, and he also would engage in cannibalism because he's disgusting. And he, in, in at least one case, maybe more, um, ate the nipples of his victims. Yeah, I wanted to pause because I just wanted you to sit in that disgust for a second. It's pretty gross. Well, and Hannah were Hannah and I were literally talking about this um, over waffles the oh, other day. Pizza. We're, 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 or we were eating pizza. When we were eating <laughs> and, pepperoni nipple pizza. We're like, damn, that mother trucker was eating nipples. What? Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny, but like. It's why disgust. nipples? It's horrible. It's horrible. But there has to be a psychological reason. I, on a serious note, we were talking about how there has to be like a psychological reason. Oh, to there it is totally a that's psychological like reason. that's like uh, sexually motivated. And I'll and I'll circle back to it at the very end. It's kind of the cherry on top of it all. Um, the cherry on top of like a disgusting, morbid Sunday. Um, he would also keep souvenirs from his murders. Um, in some cases, it was body parts. Actually, in most cases, it was body that's parts. Not a souvenir. And and again, it kind of just reiterates the fact that this guy really wanted to be a serial killer. He wanted to be the best serial killer. Okay? The keychain just wasn't enough. No. He couldn't have just been like, cool. Well, and the the grossest part about it is he kept souvenirs, but he also would like pose the victims and take photos of them. Sometimes he would even like dress up their corpses and like paint their nails and like make them look like they were dolls. Um, and almost all of these photos he obviously was taking for like personal his own personal pleasure um similarities between his i guess kind of similar to um derek derek's murders is that like they weren't all really that normal there they were they had different races different ages but the one thing one thing that was in common with all the victims what they they were all really like petite women um because he couldn't handle like larger women he was like a very petite man himself um and honestly like, he knew that he wouldn't have a struggle if they were a small woman another similarity between all of his cases or at least almost all of them was that he would use zip ties to strangle them um yeah yeah damn it sean um now this little fact about one of his murders is where we'll loop back in terry who was his 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 lady friend that he lived with um one of his victims hardy schmidt was one of the women that he murdered and 
he drove around with Hardy, which is an interesting name, in his trunk for two days before he dumped the body. And I, I don't remember exactly where I found this, but I'm pretty sure this is true. During this time period that this body was in the back of his car, he drove around in the car with Terry. Again, just letting you sit with that for a second. Um, Terry, of course, was Sean's live-in girlfriend. Super awesome. Um, now, this is like, and I'm not trying to shame Terry. For all we know, she was being abused. I don't know, but like, what the hell, Terry? God damn it. Um, Terry knew that Sean had a porn addiction. And she was like, yeah, whatever. And then, just wait, just wait. He had even showed her an image of a dead woman once. She was obviously disgusted and horrified, but she didn't tell anyone. Put it in reverse, so, Terry. I mean, back it up, Terry. Put it in reverse. Anyway. Um. So I, I wonder if, she, I wonder if she thought it was like a porn image. Not that that's better. So, and it, it wasn't, to be fair, it wasn't clear if it was a porn image or if it was one of the photos he had taken. Um, I am unsure of that. But either way, if, like, someone came up to me and was like, hey, look at this dead body, I'd be like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> Duh. I mean, that's, like, the correct response. Because okay, why, would you, why would you want to be, like, in a relationship with somebody who liked looking at pictures of dead bodies? Like, Yeah, yeah. Okay, um, another little kind of tidbit I want to talk about about his um, about his murders, his victims, was he really liked to mess with the cops. Um, in this sense, Sean was more of like just a typical evil serial killer. Like he was narcissistic. He wanted to be the best serial killer ever. And he thought he could outsmart everybody. Um, so he liked to mess with the cops. Uh, Catherine Hall, who was another one of his victims, her body was found displayed underneath a dead end street sign. And she was like in this like ballet pose. And like, obviously it was like a sign, like it's a dead end. She's dead. Like it was clearly like a play on words. So in that aspect, he was a little bit smarter than Derek, but not by much. Cause he still got caught. Um, thank God, by the way, Johnny Mae Williams was another one of his victims and she was posed. This is kind of hard to describe, but um, she was posed with her arms folded up under her so that when the police like were like oh my god this dead body let me roll it over so I can look at their face her like the arms like fell off like fell out and off because they had been like folded up under her um, and this is also where they found that her hands had been cut off he did a lot of dismembering I don't know why because he didn't like dispose of them in a way and it's hard it's hard to make like sense of a murderer but you know in the snowtown murders like they dismembered a lot of the bodies because they put them in like vats it was like out of necessity it was out of versus necessity. like this guy he like genuinely bodies. just liked doing it yeah and then left him out in the middle of the woods and was like yeah it's fine um <clears throat> donna johnston who was another one of his um victims was found with the tat was found with like um, this huge like cutout on her leg, which eventually we found out was the tattoo of a butterfly that had been cut off. And so I think his, his kind of goal here was to make it harder to identify the victims. Um, but uh, a, another similarity between all his victims, if it wasn't already clear, is that they were all found completely nude with nothing near them. So he tried, he was really trying to make it really hard for them to identify for the police to identify the victims did um, he cut the hands off of all of them though no i don't think so so, so maybe- it's like almost like it's almost like it was like an afterthought and like sometimes he would take a tattoo sometimes he would take their hands so they couldn't be fingerprinted like yeah it, maybe he just didn't have any understanding of like the system but yeah yeah that's true um in april 2004 so now we're up to the arrest and the confession, and this is kind of where we'll close everything out. Um, the confession, as well as like some of the interviews that he did after he was arrested, are kind of are really the most interesting things about him, if I'm being honest. Um, 
So in April 2004, there were tire tracks found near the body of Donna Bennett Johnson, who was Sean's eighth and final victim. Um, the tracks were from a very unique set of tires, and there were only about 200 tire owners of the specific set of tires in the area. And so the Louisiana State Crime Lab was able to track them down, and then obviously they were like, oh, Sean. So let me talk about... Um, what he what he said that made police say oh my god this is probably this like so obviously they found out that he had the same tires as the car that had driven in this very like kind of weird remote area where donna bennett johnson was found so they they had an inkling it was him but this is allegedly when they knew for sure that it was him was when or they had a, a more of a hunch i guess was when he would he said oh he was talking about johnny may williams who was another one of the victims was a friend of his and he had said oh she's ridden in my vehicle she's been in my home i used to play pair to clean my house and then we'll kind of come back to why that's like crazy um so they dna tested him at this point and then the dna was a match and the police returned to his home where sean and terry were lying in bed together like sleeping in the middle of the night or whatever and Sean just like said like I'm sorry Terry and then he was taken away (laughs) like all right um he eventually admitted to the murders so he said here are just like a couple of things that he said that were just crappy things um he said I'm sorry I hurt people but I would do it again you let me out on the street and I'll find somebody before sundown help the little girls today not be the premature corpses of tomorrow um he also confessed to a friend after he was in prison in like notes he said i still puzzle over the post-mortem dismemberment and cutting there was something deep in my subconscious that really needs that kind of macabre action macabre is that the word macabre it's spelled macabre but it's yeah macabre, macabre. Right? okay um and then he said this at one point, I'm, I'm filling in, he didn't, and then here's the quotes. No, what the hell was wrong with me? I was in a real bad place. I was pure evil that night when he's talking about his last victim. No love, no compassion, no faith, no mercy, no hope. And then he says, I hated God for a long time. So clearly he had been like struggling with like the fact that he was murdering people, but I just okay all of these things feel very much like he is trying to make himself sound more interesting than he is like he's trying to make it sound like he has some kind of like drive to murder but he just like you know he wants to be he wants to be more interesting you know by like being like oh yeah I have this like weird biological drive to like murder people and dismember them I don't know yeah um so now let's talk about some like q a uh not q a but like interviews with um sean so gillis admitted to being near the crime scene um and he offered a really strange excuse to why his tire tracks were in that field the field where they found his last victim donna bennett johnson he said um i had some beer and needed to go to the bathroom real bad. And I knew I wasn't going to make it to the house. You know what I'm saying? My bladder was, how they put it, Cheech and Chong put in one time. My eyes are floating. That's how it felt. <laughs> oh, Sean. Um, and and then he, and like, so that was an excuse. He had to pull over, go to the bathroom, whatever, BS. Um, and then he had a really good excuse for if the cops found any blood in his car, okay? Here's an excuse. This is all in quotes, by the way. About a month after we got the car, she got her period. I'm assuming he's talking about Terry. That's obviously not in quotes. Back into quotes. She had her period and it just soaked. I mean, it's like I said, it looked like a massacre massacre in that front seat. He said, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. Men are so, so, un- like, clearly just incorrect. But here's the weirdest part, Okay. And then we'll do like a final closing and then we'll be done. Um, Cause I know this is just about over an hour now. Um, he said, man, blood just started flying everywhere in the vehicle. <laughs> well, what me- is, what is this man's 
like experience with women because and then, and then, obviously not accurate yeah and then one of the men that was interviewing him said well let me ask you this then is there any reason that blood could be in the backseat as well and then sean says there shouldn't be i mean barring wind blowing you know i'm not saying you're not going to find one of johnny's hairs back there but you shouldn't find a, anything from anyone else he said, yeah, I think the windows were down and probably some blood flew out the window and got blown back in. Stop. And then, and then Why is that so said, funny? That's like an actual comedian right there. At this point, everyone like looked around and was like, yeah, it's him. He's the, he's the guy. Um, and then like the detective said, oh, I'll be right back. And then at this point, like it's caught on like video or camera or audio. And he says so much for a little friendly Q and A because that's what the police had said. They're like, oh, we'll just, we're just gonna do a little friendly Q and A. So at that point he probably was like, oh shit, I just said some stuff. I'm, I'm probably caught. Um, now, now to tie it all together with why we talked about in the same episode as Derek Toddley, he kept newspaper newspaper clippings of Carrie Yoder, which was the last victim of Derek Todd Lee. And he also had a file on his computer called DTL, which is Derek Todd Lee's initials. It, it is very well known, like he has said it, everyone knows, that he was really, really, he feared being outdone by Lee. So he kept like very close tabs on him and was like, he always wanted to be the best. And so that's why I think it is so funny that he was known as the other Baton Rouge serial killer. Like, I feel like that was, like, kind of a final nail in his coffin. Like, yeah, you stupid. You couldn't even be the only Baton Rouge serial killer. You are the other one. Like, I just think it's great because, like, he he couldn't even have that little bit of satisfaction. Um, And then last but certainly not least, he did confess. And this this brings me back to the nipple comment. Um. He did confess that he wanted to have sex with his mother. He, he had always wanted to. Um, and he said that after she left him, it sent him over the edge. So I kind of alluded to that earlier, but, but yeah, that was kind of the final straw that broke the camel's back, so to say, or whatever. And that's why he did all the horrible things he did. So first degree and second degree murder. And then he also had um, his like criminal penalty was life without the possibility of parole probation or suspension of sentence so he's been in jail since he was arrested um basically and now he's age 58 he is still alive but he's never gonna go out, be up be able what to year was he arrested i'm pretty sure it was 2004 2004 is what i think but what isn't that the same year that derek todd lee was arrested he was in, he was convicted for the murder. So Derek was convicted of the murder of Char- Charlotte Marie Pace in 2004. Yeah, so I guess at the same time. But again, it's just it just is funny to me that like he was the other serial killer. So Sean, if you ever listen to this, I hate you. And you you couldn't even be the only serial killer. You had to be the other one. So ha. Anyway, that's all we got for this week's episode. Um any any final thoughts from you two i know it was it's a pretty brutal one but i do think it's just like there are some like pretty obvious obvious connections and then also like i just like to run it home that sean was wasn't even the best baton rouge serial killer yeah two really bad people i do want to list off um sean vincent gillis's uh victims because i did for Derek, um and then we can close it out so um Sean's victims were Ann Bryan, who was 81, Catherine Ann Hall, who was 29, Hardy Schmidt, who was 52, Joyce Williams, who was 36, Lillian Robinson, who was 52, Marilyn Nevels, who was 38, Johnny May Williams, who was 45, and Donna Bennett Johnston, who was 43. So these women are all on the older side, which is interesting because like he because of the comment about him wanting to have sex with his mom. Yeah. Very interesting. That and also like he wanted to he wanted to take down people he knew he could take down. And so they were all like kind of small, older, frailer women. So anyways, that's all we got for this episode. It's a super lighthearted one. I hope you guys enjoyed it. (laughs) Just kidding. It's not lighthearted, but I do hope you guys enjoyed it, even though it is kind of brutal, but this is a true crime podcast. So 
Um, as always, we post relevant pictures on our Instagram when we post about, when I post about the, um, that week's case. I also post it on Facebook. I don't know how many of the cool cats and kittens are using Facebook these days. That, that little saying dated me. It's been a whole year since that whole fiasco of Tiger, Tiger King. Yeah. Yeah. I think I hallucinated that entire month of my life. Um, anyway, so I post relevant photos and then also you guys can like communicate with us on there if you want you can chat about about how you feel about the case um and then also you can do that on youtube all of our socials that we post on our who what where podcast um as always thanks so much for listening and we'll see you or you'll hear from us (laughs) that sounds so creepy um you'll hear from us next week in another episode thanks everybody (laughs) 